Okay. You ready? And here, here we go. And this is uh, Bar Crawl Radio number 27. Wow. Wow. That we're, was fast. We're, we're, we're moving along. 27. And we're going to be talking about women in the workplace yes. when the workplace is really run by men. And it's well, be, it's, it's, well show. it's it's male dominated. I mean that yeah. yeah. I mean certainly certainly a, quite a few industries you right. can look at and you can see all of the uh, pe- people in positions of power are men. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so there's so there was a lot to talk about. It's, it's it very it interesting. Was. And I just spoke with Helen Rosenthal, mm-hmm. who's a District Six Council person in New York City, right. the Upper West Side. Right. And she had a lot of interesting things to say too. And that'll be coming up in the next about ten minutes. And we'll talk about women in the male-culturated workplace. Uh-huh. Yeah. And we're, we're again, we're at uh, uh, Vino Laventino. Yes. Um, Enjoying. Um, what are you having, dear? What I'm are you having, drinking? I'm, I'm actually had the same thing that I had last time. Uh-huh. I asked them to save the glass, and they saved the wine <laughs> that I had last time, and I'm drinking the same thing. And, in fact, it tastes really good. And it's what Malbec. is it? Malbec. Malbec. Right. Is, it from, is Malbec from Argentina? Could be. Uh-huh. Could be. It could be from Chile. It could be from or France. From Chile. Okay. Okay. They make it in California. But it's I think isn't it known for sa- South America? Though. It's ma- it's known for I think Argentina. Being from Argentina, yeah. I think. I think so too. Or Australia, or Austria. It's one of the ones that starts with an A. Albania. Um, that would be Argentina. I Argentina. Think. I think we should go with that. I think we should just okay. go with it. Okay. Okay, and I'm having a Tito's and tonic. Tito's and tonic, yes. Tito's and tonic. I yes. noticed they put a lemon in it. I know. Well, they're get, they're actually going out to buy some lime for me because so you have, have to have a second one. Uh, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Why? I didn't have to twist your arm very no, much there. No, out. Okay. Oh, yeah. Oh, okay, right. I'll do it. Okay. So, okay, so this is my turn. I'm, I got an idea to, to talk about with you. Yeah, and we've been going um, back and forth. Because last, la- last one wasn't very good. Oh, my gosh, that was depressing. I'm, I'm not that bored anymore. I was actually, while you were talking about that, you didn't notice it. But I, I had myself. I had a, um, a safety pin over here that I was sticking in my arm. And that made you so feel better, So it made huh? me feel better. <laughs> <laughs> it made me feel alive. <laughs> oh, God, that mm-hmm. time of year. I'm glad we're past it. Yeah. Well we're, we're beyond that. We're beyond that. We're into, we're in, actually, we're into 2019 now. Yeah. Wow. Another, yeah, wow. wow. Yeah. So the, the thing is that I think that um, we should provide a service to our um, listeners. And um, so I continue to bring back the uh, topic of marriage. Oh. And so one of the things I was looking Something at... Something that we know all about. It, well, we have been doing it for a lot, long, many years, for a right. long time. Well, it could, it's it could be that we're, we're, we're good at it. It's going to be 39. Or or we just got into some kind of habit. Or we, yeah, it could be. But see, what I'm going to suggest that it's been much more thoughtful than that. Because, so for example, I looked into the, um, you know, the, the problems people have in their marriage. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I won't go into the, the ones that are... I'm, n- the I'm numbering them in my head right now. Right. Well, you know, it's sex and money are the big things. Those okay. are the big things. Children... But that's not what I want to talk about tonight. I was thinking of something else. One of the things that um, counselors say that um, where people trip up in their marriages is when they, they you know, they have this wonderful uh, romance and then they get married and they're supposed to live happily ever after and then they set about to change each other. Mm. And so that's kind of a misstep. Because I don't know. I'm totally changed. 
I'm not saying that. See, I that's, was a rogue. You've gotten to the end of my conversation. Oh. So I, I let's go back. Okay. Let's go back through the years. And no, 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 it's okay. And we were trying to change each other. You were trying to change me. You didn't like the the magazines I read, perhaps. Television shows you watched. Television shows I watched. Right. I still don't. Um, yeah, you still don't. <laughs> but but you're not trying to change no, me. Or, no. And I was, you I know, I remember, I remember when Survivor. I tried to suggest, you know, kind of different things to wear that you got very upset. Yeah, and you notice I've lost them all. Well, some things wear, wear out, and, and we get rid of uh, them, don't some we? Things, I some mean, things were lost honey, before they were worn out. that 40 years ago. Are you still upset about that really horrible sweater, that red and white Oh, yeah, I totally forgot about it. Oh, my gosh. How did you come up with that? I mean, you know, so... It was awful. But, you know, you got... You said... You it's said, hurting my eyes just thinking of it. Do you remember what you said to me when I tried to, like, influence your dress... You know, attire. Leave me alone. You said, I'm not your Ken doll. I'm not your Ken doll. <laughs> Leave me alone. You Get can't out dress of my me. face. Yeah. I want to dress myself. Right. And I did and I stopped. I did. I stopped. And uh, yeah, forty years later. <laughs> no, 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 no. I stopped long before yes, that. You did. I you did. did. I you stopped. Did. And what I just tried to do was, you know, influence you through reason, through modeling, through you know, how like a teacher does, you know, you <laughs> if you want a student yes. to, to learn, to understand, that you have to show them, you have to take them to and let them experience it. And right. you can't force them to drink, you have to bring them to the water. Exactly. When they're really thirsty. They'll drink. They'll drink. They'll drink. So you took all my clothes away. No. <laughs> and I had nothing I, to wear. I didn't. And you said, Oh dear, how about this? Said, yeah, anything. I bought you I'll things. Wear anything. I bought you I bought you clothing, right? That I liked. Yes you did. And you liked it too. I do. Not always, though. I do. Some things that I bought you have disappeared. I don't want to talk to you about that right you now. You know what? I remember I bought you, oh, and this gosh. was really sexy. You know what I'm talking about. Yeah, I know. The black, black velvet, velvet jumpsuit. jumpsuit. Oh, my God. <laughs> and then that was in the 70s. Oh, it was wow. It was really nice. The, 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 the zipper position when I had was all important. It. Yeah, I guess. Oh, I think you'd still look good in it, sweetie. Mm-mm-mm. Wow, that's if the zipper was like about six inches, good. Yeah. Seven inches. Stop. Okay, stop. 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 Ten stop inches. It, stop it. Stop it. <laughs> People can't listen. <laughs> anyway, what have we learned from trying to change? Wait each a other? minute. I'm still thinking about that black velvet jumpsuit. Just hold it. One, one more second. One more. One more. Okay, go on. Obviously, I have not been successful at changing this. <laughs> behavior <laughs> still working on it <laughs> but l- let me just suggest <sighs> to you that like you said earlier mm-hmm. we have changed each other we have and i'm shorter <laughs> <laughs> so am i you said, you that's said, the other episode said, that's about growing old come come down to me and i, I got shorter no you're not shorter oh. but you um i think you have a better sense of style mm. I do. Oh, look, look what I'm wearing well, now. Well, I'm not, you know, present company excluded. That's not a bad sweatshirt. No, and sweatshirts are, okay. hoodie sweatshirts are cool. What about wearing underneath okay. the kind of like t-shirt it's with a sweater fine. over it's it? It's all fine with jeans. Your mm-hmm. jeans are a little baggy, though. You never no, got into the tight jeans. These jeans are not baggy. They're one size too small. Oh, yeah? Yeah. You got that on purpose? Yeah. No, I, this is the only thing that was clean. Oh, oh, oh. Right, and they, they only go down to my ankles. But honey, they're still baggy. 
These jeans you are not baggy. You don't know anything about tight no, jeans. No, no, no. The jeans aren't baggy. I'm baggy. <laughs> <laughs> That's the bags. The, the bags are like on the skin. Oh, I see. I see. Right? I see. The jeans are very tight. Oh. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so and you know what? I don't read not the same hiding anything. things that I read when we first met. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of things that I used to. Yeah, you waste started. You picked up Proust. On. No, I recently. did not. <laughs> Since I mentioned it in the last I show. I should read it, though. Maybe I will. Yeah. Swan's Way. That's the name of what he wrote. Swan's Way. I, I just remembered it. No, I want to read Joyce. Joyce? I'd like to read Joyce and Proust. Jimmy Joyce? Um, but I yeah. still read People magazine. That's right, you do. And I you, enjoy it. And you it. still watch Survivor. And I still watch and, Survivor. And you still you watch never got me off of that. You still watch that, uh, that show where they argue all the time yeah. about how to build stuff? Yes, yes, yes. Well, he's a designer. Yeah, and I can't stand it. I know. And I can't, I and, and Walking Dead. I know, you can't stand but that. But, you know, I have to but say... But we've come up with... A lot of, of people would disagree with you. I, that, that's beside the point. I know, you're right. It right. is beside the point. The thing is, this is what you like. Exactly. And I'm an, uh, I'm and an adult. I, and you have an adult, and you have the choice to watch whatever you watch, and I have the choice what I have to watch. That's right. Yeah, so I, I think we've come to that, and all of that is We don't have to watch it together. Through many years of therapy. Or just many years of living together and getting tired of the same old arguments. Right, well. And knowing that you're knocking your head against a wall, so you should really stop trying to change a partner because you can't change people. And if I had known that, I would have saved a lot of money. Well, that's neither here nor there. I don't know that you would have because I think you just have to go through the journey. You got to do it however you do it. But we can't change one another. That's all there is to it. And yet, we change. You see? That sounds like a marriage lesson. Well... You know, maybe, maybe if, see, the thing is, is that when people are young, there's, they don't see the whole story. So we've seen the whole story now. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe not the whole story, hopefully, but we have a, b- a good, pe- good, piece, a good of it. piece of the story. Right. So, um, yes, that's right. You young people out there, don't try to change your partner because you can't, you can't. Yet, if you love each other and you stay together and you work through things, you will change. You will. And by the way, you don't know that now. You won't know it for another 30 years. Well, maybe. So no, I think some ahead. people are smarter than that. Go I think our own. children nah, are smarter than that. Can't teach I uh, No, I think they are. They're going to have to live for what they're going to live through. And, and we're going to be talking with three young professional women. Very right, smart right professional now, women. Who are going through their own angst at, in their workplace. Uh, and uh, they're going to talk about the experience of working in a male-dominated work, work environment. Work environment, yeah. Right. right. And... Uh, and what are the pitfalls and what are the challenges and what's really changed and what's really not that big a deal. Um, yeah. Right. So we're at La Vino Labentino on West 94th Street, right off Broadway. Very nice wine bar. They've got some nice food. And we're going to run over to Gephardt right now and talk with these three young ladies. Okay, right. sweetie? Let's do it. By the way, your hair looks great. Thank you, dear. The American workplace has been dominated by men. During World War II, government propaganda urged American women to join the war effort as shipbuilders, welders, munition workers, and airplane riveters. They did their jobs as well or better than the men they replaced. At the end of the war, other propaganda told them their place was now in the kitchen, raising the children, taking care of their husbands. By 1945, they were out of luck and work. In the 70 years since, there have been important improvements in the way that women are treated in the American work environment. However, 
there is still a lingering male dominance and women are insisting that changes be made. Today we will talk with three professional women about their experiences in today's work environment. Julie Winston is a project manager for a general construction firm in New York City. She's working with such clients as SL Green, JLL, Empire State Trust, and Vornado. During her college years, Tuli was a Division I swimmer and water polo player. Tuli is also a loving mother of two stepsons, Kenny and Chris, and her two-year-old son, Jack, and a loving wife to Kren. Erin Turingen is a New York City-based pharmacy manager at an academic medical center, peer-reviewed author and speaker. In her current role, she manages pharmacy services in hospital-based clinics, drawing on her experiences of work-life imbalance and burnout she created Coffee Meets Polished, a blog that empowers you to embrace who you are to get what you want. Clarinetist and educator Jessica Zweig is the program director at an El Sistema-inspired intensive after-school music program for Philadelphia youth. A professional clarinetist, Jessica has performed extensively throughout the Washington, D.C. area, as well as in Perigord, France, and Vienna, Austria. Jessica received her BM and MM in clarinet performance from the University of Maryland School of Music. Okay, everybody, welcome to Bar Crawl Radio, and this is an important conversation, but before we get to the important conversation, we want to know what you all are drinking, since we're at a bar. I'm having a, a pint of delirium and a few, oh, I've got to taste that. which is a bourbon, um, neat. It's called few? Like it's called few, F-E-W. Yeah, and like it's my... Few. It's a it's a Brooklyn oh F E W it's a Brooklyn uh, few Brooklyn company and it's my favorite and nobody ever serves it at a bar so oh, wow. I was very excited they that have it here. they have few wow. here wow at Gephardt's. at Gephardt's uh huh nice. across the street from the mortuary down the street from the Papaya Papaya close to Trader Joe's right and now with the La Patisserie La Patisserie is across right 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 outside the window here need to get my my pet. Yeah, we gotta Cut, eat our right. pet trimmed. Trimmed, okay. Jessica, what are you uh, what are you drinking there? I am drinking a cream ale, but I can't remember the name of the okay. brand. All right. But it's All right, but this, is a bit, this place is big on beer, so yes, we we, we want to push their beer. And Aaron? Yeah, I'm actually really boring, and I'm drinking water. Oh, That's okay. God. There's only there's always, there's always <laughs> one in the bunch. Well, I, I didn't have lunch, so I was I you can't can drink without I without eating But water is fantastic. It's, it's, Sparkling delicious. It's New York City water. <laughs> yes. It's the best in the country. Yes. And what are you drinking, dear? Yeah, I'm, oh yeah, I've got my notes here. Industrial Arts Wrench. Scylla, uh, Scylla told me, the, the bartender. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Industrial Arts Wrench. It's a New England style IPA from Garnerville, New York. And I am drinking, thanks for asking, Tito's and Tonic. What? With Tito's? extra lime. Oh, what? see, I would have gotten that. Oh my God. You can. I, I know, you I forgot. I always forget. No. We'll I forget there you. was a reason I actually wasn't drinking. So. Okay, okay. <laughs> but I do prefer liquor over beer. Yeah, me too. I don't know. Ever since I've been kind of broadcasting here from Gephardt's, I love the IPAs. Yes, they're, really they're great. They, they have amazing, amazing selection Gephardt's, of beers, and they change them all the time. They keep getting, you know. So let's begin by talking about what has been called the double-blind issue, in which men in the U.S. workplace are seen as competent, take-charge leaders, and women are take-care mothers. So, so Aaron, I thought maybe we could start with you. At your work, uh, how are you perceived? Are you a take-charge person, or are you a take-care person, or something else? 
Uh, that's a great question. And I think uh, my perception or how people perceive me has probably is probably very different this year as it was when I was in training um, in residency. But I think I'm perceived as a take charge person. And it's actually something that's really uncomfortable for me. And I'm constantly thinking, oh my gosh, am I being too assertive? You know, I've had to take aggressive out of my vocabulary. Am I being too pushy? Am I, is, how are these people thinking of me when I'm making all these demands and requests? And so, so I think, yeah. You're uncomfortable with that persona. I am, I am. Because I generally think that I can't be liked in addition to being demanding, Why? which is the is, double bind. Is, <laughs> is, is that a woman thing or, or is it true Do you about think it is? men in, in your Do place? you think men or feel that way? I don't think they think about it at all. Or maybe they do, but it doesn't keep them up at night like sometimes it does for me. Um, so I, I used to be very take care. I mean, I am in certain parts of my life, and it's really at work that I kind of put on this other persona in order to get the job done. So, In order to get the job done. Yeah. And Jesse, you mentioned that that was something you recognized in your um, field, that, that stereotypical view of women. So how do you think you're perceived? Well, I think um, it's a little tricky because I work in uh, nonprofit work and um, maybe even social services work. And so um, I think that there is a, um, there's two sides to the coin. There's the one side, which is that I think I am maybe by nature very take charge. And in, the, in my job, I'm, I have to be fairly take charge. Um, but that can be perceived as being bossy. Um, which is only a word that would be used for a woman, never a man. You think so? I do. Um, but at the same time, um, I uh, work with kids and I work with teachers. And so um, there is this big part of me that's that I want to take care of my employees and I want to take care of their needs. And so um, there is that, um, yeah, there's two sides to that coin. So you're, you're both, really. Depending on what is needed, exactly, you feel. and who I'm talking to. Yeah. And, and the men that are at your level, uh, again, do you think that they feel the same way you do, or are they just kind of in, in, ambivalent or ambiguous, or they just don't care whether or not they're liked or not? Well, I think that the way that I take care of people um, is uh, just different, maybe, than the way a man how, would. So how different do you think? I think that I would be perceived as over-nurturing in certain ways. Um, I uh, want to know how people are feeling um, as well as how they are doing their job because I think that the two are really inextricably linked. And so um, I think that a man in a similar position is not necessarily so worried about how somebody is feeling about how they are doing in their job. Yeah, but could a man be nurturing? Absolutely. And as a nonprofit worker, I work with many men who are um, very nurturing. And I've met that in my field, too, in teaching. Tuli, what about you? I know you've, we've talked about you taking different voices depending upon who you're dealing with at the time. I don't, in my profession, I don't see either of those being um, that, uh, negative in if I... If there's an instance where I need to ch take charge and put my foot down and, and be the authority in the room, I am. If there's a point in which uh, being more of a caretaker would be a benefit to getting the job done, then I do that. Um, 
I think in my instance, working with construction, working with subcontractors, sometimes being the mother in the room is actually a benefit because it desexualizes you and it allows you to get the job done and they hear you in a different light. Uh, if, I'm, if I'm walking in as mom and, and I'm saying, no, get it done, then they're getting it done. If I'm walking in as the authority uh, and, and being a little bit more less motherly to them, then hopefully that particular instance will work that way. So it sounds like all three of you use different voices depending upon what the circumstances are. What about the men um, that are in power? Do you feel judged by them for the way you manage things? I find surprise a lot. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I just recently got my position as a project manager um, in a commercial industry, where, and, and I don't think that my firm specifically has seen me in that role, even though I've been in that role prior for many years. Um, so them learning me as a project manager, as, as somebody who is um, not submissive, um, but dominative um, is is a different uh, view that they've seen of me, and there's a lot of like, oh, oh, okay, well, oh, you, okay, so you you got that, okay. <laughs> a little surprise in their voice, but. <laughs> and what about you, Erin? Do you get any derogatory responses from people? Like, so, before I moved here, I'm in my second year here in New York, and before I was here, I was in North Carolina. And I... It must have been very different. It was very different. And I was in a residency program that was uh, for administration. I was, I was training to be a manager, do project management, managing people. And a lot of it was developing executive presence and all of that. And now that I'm here in New York, I'm realizing how much of the concepts and culture in North Carolina was very patriarchal, very um, structured in that way. And now my boss is a woman, and her boss is a woman. So that from all the way up the line to VP, I have all women on my team. And so noticing, what I notice the most is that it's not discussed at all. And so I think that having um, a boss and teammates that are women just means that uh, it's, it's neutral territory. I think something that's kind of interesting about what you were just talking about, Erin, is that I was also just in an emerging leaders program, which is not a degree-bearing program, but it's a certificate program. And um, I took it upon myself to uh, enroll in this program because I was interested in gaining um, more leadership skills or leadership skills or, or thinking about leadership in a different way. And most of the class, in fact, everybody except one person was a man, was a woman, excuse me. Um, so the entire leadership um, cohort were women except for this one man and I often think about I think about cultivating my leadership skills maybe maybe I'm uncomfortable with them or I, I am um, the top person in my organization that runs the programs and um, I want to constantly get better at that but it's interesting that um, it was all women who seemed to want to further themselves in that way and um and and the irony is that in nonprofit work most of the very top executives are men and the people right under them or the people who are delivering the programs are women interesting even and in that's, a, that's with you also absolutely yeah yes. that's the situation that you have yes yeah 
Yeah. Right. So moving on to another problem in the U.S. work environment, and it's a, a stark difference in how professional women are expected to appear, uh, what they're supposed to wear, their body types, their need or not need to wear makeup. And women can also be judged for trying to look too good. Just the right balance becomes nearly impossible to achieve. Um, do you dress a certain way, Jessica, when you work? I mean, I think that I, um, because I am in a nonprofit field, perhaps I, I dress a little bit more casual. I mean, I don't go into a business office every day. I go to um, a place where there are going to be kids and where there are teachers and where we're kind of getting dirty um, a lot. So, um, But I do feel the need to um, present myself in a different way when I go into our board meetings, per se. Uh, per, when I go into the board meetings, for instance, um, I feel like uh, the board knows me as the nurturing person who is with the students and with the teachers, and yet I need to be seen as somebody who knows my facts and figures, and I need to be able to um, tell them how many students are in our program. So, And, and Aaron, what, what, what is your appearance? How important is that to you at your workplace? So it's really important, and I really do have to code switch a lot of the times because I'll be directing having direct patient care experiences in pharmacy and I dress down a little bit or I wear the white coat and then I'm in um, project meetings with VPs and directors where I think, okay, I need to wear a jacket today. I need to be put together and I can't wear too colorful makeup. What color are my nails today? And, and things like that because, you know, in my, my training we were taught not to look too distracting or, and even in the leadership books they'll have chapters Talk on Talk about how that, women not, not looking too distracting. Well, I is mean, that is sexually distracting. Is that maybe? I mean, similar oh, yeah. to what you were saying, you want to desexualize yourself. You don't want to look like, oh, that person's wearing a red lipstick. I wonder what she's doing later. You know, you don't want to, you don't want to have those distracting thoughts, which kind yeah. of means that we have to mute ourselves a little bit in our appearance in order to not get that attention. Yeah, absolutely. But is it I, possible a male could be distracting in his appearance? I, I don't know what it could be in, in, in Aaron or Jessica's field, but in my field it's all men. So whoever they're distracting, it's not the men. <laughs> yeah. Um, but no, I mean, in my field you've got the construction workers who are wearing jeans and boots and, and old t-shirts. And then uh, if you're a PM, you have to be both in a dirty uh, job site visiting and, and walking uh, the job site and getting dust all over you and then also into the meetings with the clients who are all in I love the, the men have uh, uniforms in my industry they all have a great easy uniform I bet their um, their closets are very simple they've got their week clothes and then their weekend clothes and it's all suits ties, shirts blazers um, and then the women, I don't really have a clear, what does a woman in construction wear? I have to wear closed-toed shoes, but finding closed-toed shoes for the summer that looks normal is impossible. Um, I have to, yes, downplay any sexuality that I have because the subcontractors will uh, not be disrespectful, but you never want to walk in there inviting any disrespect. You want to walk in there um, expecting respect, and, and so therefore you, you don't want um, your chest to be uh, open, you don't want to be showing too much of any one particular thing. Um, the heels can't be too high, 
they have to be somewhat clunky makeup not red lips just like you're saying um, so there is a downplaying of luckily I'm not one to wear makeup so that kind of fits with my personality but if I was one to wear makeup it might be something that that's hard to to um, depress so do you think men worry about this when they get up and get dressed for work? They wear the same thing every day. They wear slacks, button-down white shirts or blue shirts. They wear ties, and, they wear, and they wear coats. And what about in your field? Well, I think that they, they're concerned about other things if they're concerned about anything. I mean, they're concerned that they look professional. Um, we're, you know, it sounds like we're concerned that we look professional and don't draw attention. I think yeah, the attention... Draw attention, attention but not draw attention. Yeah, attention. yeah. 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 Yeah, right. Yeah. Have you ever received a derogatory comment based on what you read? And derogatory could be also, you're looking good today, sweetie. Constantly. Yes. Constantly. You receive it or you fear receiving it? I constantly receive it. So it. give an example of what you would um, If I was this high, would you go out with me? Standing on a ladder. If I was this tall, would you go out with me? Um, wow, you're looking really good today. What's going on? What have you changed? Um, so don't make me think those thoughts. That's a lot. That being said, I will say in, in what I found is it's, um, it's friendly flirting. In my case, it's not, uh, they're not ex- actually expecting me to go out with them. But is but that in, considered like a microaggression, would you say? I mean, they wouldn't say that to anyone else. I would say it's a microaggression if I accept it as a, de- as a leveling of who I am, but I don't allow it to. So in one breath, they can say, um, if I was this tall, would you go out with me? Oh, yeah, I have those lights. I'll definitely get them installed for you today, I promise. <laughs> so you give them the cue. This, I'm yeah, not yeah. going to talk about okay, that. Okay, that's cute. Now, what about these lights? <laughs> right. Yeah. Does that work? Uh, uh, yeah. In the moment. In the moment, it works. I mean, um, if somebody were to really push themselves upon me, would I, I would have a, a definite different... There was one, uh, sub, one um, person who started uh, talking about my sexual preferences in front of another subcontractor and I had to talk to them after the fact and say that's not acceptable. It just feels like in the era era of Me Too that that is completely and utterly inappropriate and you should never have to even make the, you know, the you'd, passing remark. You'd think, but there wouldn't be a need for a Me Too movement if these people didn't say what they say. Well, how does it, how does that, how does that um, play out in your workplace, Erin? Is there, do you, have you ever felt any sense of being, have you ever been sexually harassed that you would care to, you know, share? Yeah, so I actually haven't necessarily been sexually harassed, but I get the inappropriate comments actually from patients. So I male will patients, male patients. Sure. Yeah. Yes. Um, you know, when I did my training, I was in a VA. I had a lot of elderly men um, who thought that it was okay, or maybe they were trying to be malicious to make those kinds of comments. Of, um, you know, I mean, I was a, I'm an, a young Asian woman, and they would talk about their time in the military and the kinds of experiences that they would have, and um, even today. Talk about sexual experiences. Uh, just, oh, you know, my, I had a, a girlfriend out when I was, uh, overseas And, or something and you like remind that. me of her. Yeah. Just, <laughs> just really uncomfortable things. And yeah. I remember with some of my, um, colleagues, she would say, oh yeah, I, I have this patient coming today. I'm dreading it. I, that's why I didn't wear any makeup today and I dressed down. So 
it's more just trying to, again, going back to not wanting to get that That's bad attention. That's amazing. It's a very different world. Can yeah. I ask, Erin, can I ask yeah. you a question? Because sure. um, I don't know if you said this in the bio, but Jessica and I are both uh, six feet tall. And we did not. Um, we are. We are. And Aaron is not. Aaron is not. Do you find a difference? Because do you feel that there's a difference in your size? Because I feel like when Jessica and I walk into a room, there's a level of of um, of uh, authority there's that presence. we can we can inflict on those people just by walking in and, and being six feet tall and being the size of a man. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, I don't. I feel like for me, I don't just have a a double bind. I have the the Asian Asian stereotype. I right. have the introvert stereotype, the quiet stereotype, the right. short yeah. stereotype. There's just a lot of things that I have to be really aware of when and how I sit up straight or where I am at the table or things like that are all things that I think about before I even sit down. Yeah. So, so these are really subtle. I mean, it could be very mm-hmm. overt, but they could be very subtle. Oh, yeah. That's constantly like an undertone to your whole day. Mm-hmm. Can you imagine if the women talk that way to men? In the workplace, they would love they it. They would love it. No, unfortunately, work. So, what <laughs> defines then? What defines sexual harassment in the workplace? What? When does it become like silly flirtation? Um, you know, old men who are patients who are, you know, maybe going outside of what's really acceptable. But are, are they are they sexually harassing you? I mean, when does it become actual sexual harassment? When he touched my ass as I was getting out of the elevator, that's when it became well, sexual harassment. Definitely. Okay. Sexual. That All right. Yeah. I, I don't know what the legal definition is, but I <laughs> will say that, I mean, I think that the line is, like, don't go, don't go, don't go within a cent of it because um, everything is considered sexual harassment at, at this point. At this point, it seems. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Now, yeah. sexual harassment is going to be different if you're talking with your construction worker who's kind of below you who somehow feels he's powerful enough to kind of, even though you're his boss, but what about sexual harassment from above where the, they have power over you? Have you ever received that, any of you? No. No, I haven't. And I, I think to your point, I think there's a lot of nuance in our language that we're learning in today's Me Too movement. It's not there's misconduct, there's actual harassment, which is the physical, you know, uh, but I think a lot of the, the boundary is in whether or not it affects you. I don't think that the the rule is in the action itself, but in the how it was received. Yeah. Um, so this environment. I mean, it is yeah. an individual relationship. Yeah. Whereas if somebody who is a, a friend or or a coworker that you've been working with for a long time says something flirtatiously, I, I don't really care about that. That's fun. Okay. That was fun. Goodbye. But um, yeah, it is in the context of which it it is it it's stated. Well, how does that how does that affect your just just the work that you do, having to constantly have this on your mind—it's like a buzz that's constantly could attack at any moment. For me, it's it's more of a um, when I enter the room and there's a group of men talking about a particular issue on the job site. It's not about necessarily sexual harassment, but just about getting into the circle. I could be the most powerful person on the job site and I still get backs turned to me. So they're all talking about the issue that's happening on the job site and whereas I'm technically the project manager of the job site, I have to fight my way into the circle for to have the conversation at all. So, that, so that's an extra like, okay, Tuli, get yourself in there. Have you ever had that experience with, in your position? Well, 
I think going back to the original topic that you were um, hitting on, which was um, uh, you were talking about you know, whether you feel the need to be nurturing or whether you feel the need to be um, assertive. And I feel like I'm constantly having to think about whether my voice is in the room too much. Um, I, you know, Jess, are you, are you being bossy? Are you, you know, are you not letting others speak up? And, are you okay today? Yeah. Like, am I, am I, am I offending anyone? You know, and I don't think that a man would, would think that way at, at all. They don't seem to. Maybe we should ask them. Maybe. But I also don't think that, I mean, I think it sounds like you're speaking to three very um, confident women. And so I feel like as a confident woman, I have, I think about these things all the time. You know, am I, am I speaking too much? Am I too loud? Um, Do you think of it in terms of it being something that you would feel judged about? Or did you think of it in terms of, am I, am I, creating the right balance? Am I being a good leader here? Am I giving people space to share? I think, am I fitting in, in the place that I'm in, in, in the body that I'm in as a woman? Um, am I, am I fitting into the role correctly? Am I being, am I showing enough assertiveness, but also, um, showing my caring, compassionate side and, I you feel know, like that uh, might be something that you're dealing with because you're dealing with both adults and women, and and children, and teachers and, and parents. parents and there's a there's a nurturing caring side that's in, correct me if I'm wrong that's that's involved in your in your daily life. Sure, daily I feel like I'm talking specifically about working with other adults who yeah. I either manage or who I report to. Right, right. You know, right. and and how I am perceived by both. And I, I both manage men, and I am managed by a man. Okay, so let's talk about some... Oh, Aaron, you wanted to say something. Oh, I, I was just saying, I think that we have to think that way and be so aware of what we're doing at any moment in time because we have so much more to lose. I think that if we have a misstep, our missteps stay with us for a lot longer um, because we don't have as much entitlement as pri- and privilege in the roles that we're in. Yes, so. yeah, I, I hear you. From a man's perspective, too, I have to be very careful, too. I'm a professor, and so it's like I have to be aware of You've said of many times you never close your door. I never close the door. Uh, I make sure there's space between me and the female student. And sometimes the students um, don't dress appropriately, they really. They don't dress appropriately. And he with, has to be careful where his eyes go. And I've got to really you know, keep my eyes straight My eyes are looking at your I'm eyes. Your right eyes. at yeah. your <laughs> eyes, right. Um, yeah. And it's, you know, it, 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 it's, uh, we, we're in that... Moment now, we're all in that moment. Well, I don't think it's new. But I new. think we're experiencing it differently. I, yeah, I think now it's just there's a people are gonna say something about it, and you might actually get action about it. Um, I think it's just a new level of awareness for everyone. I agree. I think it's just a new level of awareness. It's always been going on. It just hasn't really been addressed. Maybe my awareness is less about um, whether or not I'm being too crass, and it's actually more of am I being too emotional. Like, I, I never want a point in which I'm breaking down in front of the men. If right. I'm breaking down, it's in the bathroom privately. It's such a cliche. It's absolutely a cliche that uh, women are, are weaker and more emotional. And well, are, they're weaker going, because they're more emotional. Because they're more emotional. Because Well, because we're literally physically more, we're weaker. We are weaker. Physically weaker, but, that, but emotionally weaker, too. Right. I think that's where that comes yeah. from. So yeah. the pressure of of my job can be handled better by a man than a woman. So this brings us to um, another 
um, thing that you had kind of already raised. Um, it might be the most diff- difficult ceiling to break, that of the boys' club. Um, it starts in childhood. The girls are not wanted in this club and continues in deeply felt ways into the highest level of professional work. The deals made on the golf course are ones that involve men. Women are not allowed. Do you feel that? Yeah, you two, Leanne, yes. you were referring to that. Uh, yeah, earlier. I think you do feel it. Yeah, I mean, a lot of, in, in order for me to make the next step into my, my career, it would be to become either a senior project manager or then an executive. And an executive is someone who brings in the accounts, right? In order to bring in the accounts, you have to network the clients. You have to go out to, to drinks with them. You have to schmooze them. And a lot, of the com- a lot of the contracts are decided at the bar, at the golf course, at the shooting weekend, whatever that is, because I've never been invited. So you're learning to play golf? <laughs> I plan to. But um, if you're not invited to the bar to meet the client, to schmooze them, to get the contract, then you can't get the contract. If you're not, if you're not included in the social aspect of the world, then you can't get the friendships going. How do you how do you break that ceiling? How do you do that? Do you, I'll let you know you when be, I figure it out. You, <laughs> like a, you can't become a really good golfer because you you'll then beat them. But you don't necessarily That's, have to be a good just golfer. Just because you're a good golfer doesn't mean that you can't lose by accident. <laughs> this is true. Is this something that uh, Jessica and Aaron do you do you face that boys club attitude or? So I definitely do. I mean, in the 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 circle that I'm in, I call it a fraternity because the you know the the leaders and the VPs and the CEOs of you know departments of pharmacy are generally men. And so when I was trying to navigate that, it was always conversations about sports and which I love sports, but I don't follow as much as like yeah, you gotta follow all the sports. Or they talk about golf and they yeah. do the those things on the weekends and I've never played golf and it's like, well, maybe if it was a majority of women we could talk about our kids more or something <laughs> like that, you know? <laughs> and that let that be oh, that person's a sounds like a really great parent. Maybe I'll land that deal, you know? Well, I think it's often about talking to for for whatever reason it feels sometimes like older men don't know how to talk to younger women, I mean youngish women. Um, <laughs> you're young. You, you're young, right? You are young. Um, it's okay. You know, I'm thinking about um, being with a board or being on a board or um, you know, being in rooms with a lot of other nonprofit leaders in a major city where many of them are men and um, there is this feeling like there's just the rapport is different and so you know you have to sort of speak the same language and I know that there um, I don't want to quote the statistic because I'm going to get it wrong but there are statistics out there that men apply for jobs that they're only like you know 25% qualified for where women look at that same job and um, they don't apply for it even though they might be 75% qualified for it yeah look look at who our president is and who the other person was applying for the job yeah well and so I think about that sometimes when I'm in conversations um, where I tend to not necessarily speak up because I don't I feel like I don't know enough about it where I know that the men in the room are speaking up about the exact same topics and let me tell you something they don't know what the hell they're talking uh-huh. about you so know that's also I, like um, when you're uh, one of the large reasons why there's a, a, a wage gap between men and women is because men will uh, regularly go into uh, a room to discuss 
their salary and they will negotiate and women will accept what's given to them. And so it's not necessarily about the fact that you couldn't get more money. It's that we didn't know that we were supposed to negotiate to get more money. <laughs> and they say, oh, well, you didn't know. I guess you're accepting that. You're, I mean, you're playing a game in which you can't quite win if you're trying to get into the boys' club. Because they won't tell us the rules. Yes. They won't tell us. Oh, they, no. They it's unilateral knowledge. <laughs> right. And the thing is, they're interested in things that you're not interested. What about a women's club? Yeah, Actually, in construction, okay? there is. Is there? There's Professional Women's of Construction, PWC. Um, Excellent. And there's a, they, they network and they learn how to golf. They could do a, a weekend of golfing to learn how to do that. And they, they do support each other. So there's, there's a growing... Uh, campaign for that for women for construction well but what about okay so even in your offices probably the women go out together the women chat together and is how is that different than the men talking about sports because the women are secretaries there you go or the men are are the majority so i mean the majority always the majority always sets the rules the majority sets the norms exactly so or when the women go out, it's just to have a conversation. <laughs> you know? Well, I have to or share they with get, That's or they so get. you're not there for work. I mean, you're sometimes not... it's just to create that boundary and say, oh, let's let's put down our our uh, walls. Put down and, our hair. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Because um, you're because I'm going to step on a limb here because women are about caring, and, yeah. and men are about you know let's get the job done. Yeah, or maybe not, but. I, I wanted to share with the ladies that we had a discussion last night about yep. how I want my voice to be heard more on this program because he dominates. He's got a he's got a you know very intelligent and he and Despite he has great my ideas. Side, I have a and male uh, I have to ego. like keep pu- pushing at him to get Metrosexual. my voice in. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So we had a we had see a that you see how he did that you see how he started talking when I was talking. And interruptions are right? a thing. Yeah. You know? yeah. There's a there's there's a hard time to go over when you're over talking somebody or when you're just having a regular conversation. I know, I know, I know. But you know, you're giving sh- him a hard time. This is a an equal partnership. You should just take the mic. I am. I know, and that's what Alan tells me too. But you know, girls, you say I'm that. But you have up. you have all been in a space with men talking. You see this right here? You're trying the to get button right here. You could just <laughs> shut it off. There you go. And then, there or you, you could go. just um, this right here. This is how you unplug the bad boy. Yeah, I know I, that. I, and just shut, I know that. Shut him down. Okay, just a second. All right, so I just turned him off. So, but you've all been in the room where you can't get a word in. I mean, you know, you've been at tables in your family where yes. the guys are all talking, and you're trying to join the conversation, and you can't get in. Uh, she put your mic back. That's on. That's right. I'm just gonna get another drink. <laughs> oh, can I have one? All right, so girls, speaking of equal pay, in 1979, women earned 62% of what a man earns, or what men earned. In 2017, it was a little bit better, as men earned only, yeah, they earned only um, one-fifth more than their female counterparts. This was also true during World War II with Rosie the Riveter, Um, same or better work, less pay. Women, on average, will need to work more than 70 additional days each year just to catch up to the earnings of men. So, you know, that's kind of a really painful area of inequity. Um, Do you work with men um, that you know at your level are paid more than you you are? Do you know of any? I mean, I I don't even know how to find that out. Part of the problem is people... Is my mic on? Yes. Yeah, Yeah, honey. Part of the problem is... (laughs) It's on for now. It's not always... Information not always given out. 
Yeah. That's part of the problem. Well, it's confidential. But well, does it have to be? It doesn't have to be. It doesn't no, have to be. No. Just talk to your coworkers. I had I just had our annual conversation with my boss and one of my coworkers, which I really appreciated, asked me if I was happy with what I got. And and he kind of wrote down percentages, you know, secretly. Or, Did you get this? Did you get a bonus? And and we kind of we didn't go into specifics, but there was an overall. Yes, I'm happy today. Uh, we'll see how happy I am next year. I understand that they're giving me the free reign to learn commercial project management, so I give them a little bit of of uh, fudge room in that, but. But he agreed with me that in the next few years, if I'm not making a certain salary, then I'm then they're not paying me what I'm worth. And I know what a, a beginner PM should make. I know what somebody who's been in it for a few years should make. So I have a little bit of fudge room to give them, but it's it'll run out in a year or two if they don't give me what I want. All right. I like that. What about you, Jesse? Do you know... Um, I, I work in nonprofit. Nobody makes <laughs> nobody, nobody makes any money. But yeah. yet there still could be inequity. All, there, I'm sure that there still, still could be inequity. I know for a fact in my organization that we all do not make what we should be should making. The men included. Yes. Okay. Right. Um, what about Aaron though? Yeah. Oh, I think um, you know. Unfortunately, I don't know either. But again, I think that in general we do need to. Uh, communicate a lot more about money and have that be a lot more transparent. If if we created some sort of you know backdoor way where we share each other's salaries and then we could all go to our bosses and say, hey, I mean, it, it, if you look at the entertainment industry, it takes the men saying, hey, I know I make more than my female actresses. I'm going to take a pay cut so that we can make the same amount of money. That that's one step at a time. And yeah. I, I think um, the beauty of the internet at this point is mm-hmm. that Glassdoor.com. You, you yeah, you can Google <laughs> yes. a lot, and you know what is the average salary of an you know X position in um, the area that I live. And right. those statistics actually get even more intersectional. I mean, when you look at um, Asian women, you know, African American women, oh, right. and yes. Hispanic women, they it, earn it less. gets even even. Um, yes, more discrepant. So I mean, they passed uh, a law in um, 1963 that that we should all get equal pay for equal jobs. Obviously, it's not worked out. So if you were able to speak to a politician, and and you know say how you feel as a woman about this issue, um, would you care to to say something? And maybe we'll you know get the message to some politicians we know. Pass the Equal Rights Amendment. <laughs> <laughs> that we can start there in the Constitution. I feel like that's hard to say because there's so much shades of gray when you get from the bureaucracy of government down to the actual employee of a specific firm. I don't know. I don't know what a government official could do to ensure that I'm on my specific path, getting paid fairly, what I should be getting paid. Well, they. They could pass a higher national minimum wage. And That's then, true. Um, but we're, we'd all I think be starting. All three of us are making way above sure, minimum but, wage. Sure, but then we'd at least be starting, um, you know, fairly. Yeah. Or just make all salaries public. Well, j- just on, there on, you that, go. on that note, we spoke with Helen Rosenthal, who's the city council person for the 6th district, this district that we're sitting in right now. Oh my God, is she going to walk in here with a big check? Mm, yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. No. And you know what, though? Let me, can I just interject something, Alan? She does not get paid very much. I can't I interject bet. for you, but you can interject <laughs> oh, for Oh, but me. she asked. 
I'm asking, yes. All right, I'll ask. I did say, can I just interject? So All right, can I interject you? So that my ear would not have asked, okay? I'm okay. just saying. Okay. Um, that she makes half of what the city council members make as a state assemblywoman. Linda Rosenthal. Linda Rosenthal. Yeah, but that's true for Oh, you're talking about Helen, aren't you? Yeah. Oh, Helen does okay. All right, never mind. I'm starting again. (laughs) But I wonder if it's equal. I bet it is. I bet it's equal. It's it's the same for men or women. Yeah, I bet it is. The state assembly and the city council. You say that. I like Aaron's idea. Make it public. Yeah. Yeah, What are you hiding? Yes. Except for men's salaries. I got to do this transition here at some point. At some point, you can do it. But I just want to say one more thing. There are companies... That are uh, making sure that they have a parity, in their in their. Um, uh, I think Starbucks is one. Um, there's other small companies. I had a list, but anyway, um, where they have an outside concern come in and check, you know, their policies and their, you know, how they pay, and they give them kind of like a yes, you have equal right, you know, equal pay. Like a because, watchdog. Because there's a lot of things that goes into it. You know, experience, what you bring to the job, how well you do the job. You know, um, I'm, I'm, at, I'm sure it's not an easy thing to, to look at. But they have made it their, you know, perspective to make sure that they have, you know, parity in that. So go ahead, Alan. Tell thank us you, what you, you. want okay, to okay. say. So we spoke with Helen Rosenthal. Uh-huh. Linda uh, Rosenthal? Helen Rosenthal. Helen. Helen, is a, no. Helen <laughs> is a city councilman. <laughs> all right, all right. You didn't ask to interrupt, you know. Excuse me. <laughs> excuse me? No, you're excused. Linda? Okay. No. So we spoke with Helen Rosenthal, city councilperson for the 6th District, about her efforts to update the New York City Charter, which they're working on now, updating the New York City Charter. It hasn't been, it hasn't been updated in decades by adopting the 1979 UN Convention on the Elimination of All Forms of Discrimination Against Women, known as CEDAW. And let's hear what she had to say. I want to thank Helen Rosenthal, city council person, for joining us in this conversation on young professional women in the male work environment. I understand you are working to uh, change the city charter, which has not been revised in three decades. Why has it taken so long? Great, you're asking that question. Uh, I feel the same way about property tax reform. Why is it we haven't looked at it in decades? Uh, The world has changed so much. You know, it is time for a fresh look at our charter, uh, which is New York City's constitution. Mm -hmm. Uh, it, It creates our framework for local government. It controls how the city spends our tax dollars. You know, it talks about how decisions are made. It has been too long. A lot has changed, and there's a lot of opportunity. We are not the same city we were 30 years ago, certainly. One of the changes that you want to uh, push through is um, to include the CEDAW, which is a UN treaty, that report that came out in 1979, uh, which basically gives women all over the world uh, more rights. CEDAW is used in different ways in different countries. And the nature of the problems, of course, in developing countries is very different than those that have been industrialized. And of course, in the U.S., the presence of women in the labor workforce has increased dramatically um, since 1979 or or really back to the 1960s, but we still have a system that is set up by 
um, men primarily, and therefore meets the needs of of men, but doesn't necessarily take into account the needs of women or those who are disadvantaged in some way. My thought is, if we if we were able to find language to insert to the charter, so it would shift that, so that government when looking at how it provides services, has to take into account the realities for women or, or other people who are disadvantaged, government would look very differently. Let me give you a really simple example. Jasmine Headley, you know, who we saw in that video that mm-hmm. went viral. Mm-hmm. She was in an HRA center waiting to... Um, get her get her child care benefits mm-hmm. back which by the way she was inadvertently dropped off <laughs> mm-hmm. so she yeah. was coming in to fix something that was something of a bureaucratic mistake you know she brought snacks for mm-hmm. her you know infant mm-hmm. but not enough for a 4 hour wait yeah. um and it's horrific. The child care that's provided on site is not available to any child that's not potty trained. Well, so yeah. what what good does that do for Jasmine? Yep. You know, and yet the system, that government office is she is supposed to walk in that government office. And again, if we could change the charter so it forces government to take that perspective, um, that would be very exciting. No, this is really I'm I'm struggling and I'm glad to be on the pub crawl because if people have ideas, um, they should call in to my office and or email us mm-hmm. Helen at HelenRosenthal.com. dot com. Right. I wanna change the very bones of the charter so that it demands that government view the requirements of providing services from a gender lens. So you're dealing with a boys' club culture, with with the city charter, with anything that is of of that age, and I like the way you put it, changing the bones of the charter. It kind of goes down to that level. Do you think the charter will be changed to the bones, or are we going to see superficial <laughs> changes? Great question. I think that uh, if you look at what San Francisco did when they tried to integrate CEDAW into their governing uh, document, their, their version of the charter, what, which, which they did five or six years ago, what, uh, what came out of that was more superficial and has now drifted away. Mm-hmm. Um, it required some reports which were generated and, and then and then that was it. Yeah, you know, kinda, they don't, even yep. though the reports were mandated, they they don't still produce the reports. Yep. It, um, yeah. So it has to be something deeper than that. Mm-hmm. Um, deeper and yeah. also uh, ongoing. It doesn't yeah. stop with a single change. It's kind of a change in an entire attitude. And I think part of that change might be, uh, you know, coming as more and more females are becoming our representatives. That is most definitely true. I mean, um, you know, it was female council members who came up with the idea that in our prisons, 
in our homeless shelters and even in our schools, Mm -hmm. menstrual products should be provided for free. Something that is an issue that, you know, is right in front of our face every Mm -hmm. day, Mm -hmm. but would never have been thought about by somebody who's not experiencing this. And I actually just got out of a meeting where they were saying that still at Rikers, um, the Rose M. Singer Center, the menstrual products, are not freely given out, you mm-hmm. know, as much as we would like to see, yep. um, that it's instead used as a tool to disempower women. Yep. And the Boys Club is not going to deal with that at all. No. No, no they won't. <laughs> no, they, I mean, don't even not, think of it. And, and by the same token, I'm not going to let it go. You know, I'm the new chair of the Committee on Women. We've had some remarkable hearings over the last year, which I think has positioned us a little bit better to think about how to integrate um, CDOT into the charter. You know, we've made some real changes. You know, we finally have strict anti-sexual harassment in the workplace laws. Uh, For the 330,000 municipal employees, the accountability on government is strict. We will be seeing reports uh, in the next few months. I'll have a hearing about that in the spring. When the last time anyone looked at this was back in the mid-1990s when Elizabeth Holtzman was controller, and she tried to audit the agencies, the city agencies, as it has to do with sexual harassment, and no agency complied except for the Department of Transportation. Hmm. Now we have this moment of time where we could get the attention of the mayor, of the city, of the population to say, no, we have to... We have to get answers to the questions, are people getting sexual harassment training um, of what to do when they see that happen and and their obligations to report and become accountable and requiring action plans to change the way government operates or an agency operates so that women are not uh, put in a position where they're sexually harassed. We, we We need a female mayor. I agree, 100%. 100%. You know, the next set of municipal elections is in 2021. Mm-hmm. And if we we should, our goal should be nothing less than uh, a female mayor, female controller, mm-hmm. female public advocate, mm-hmm. a female head of the speaker of the city council, mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, female uh, representation in the city council that is equal to our population. In other words, that at least 51 percent of the council members be women, which would be 26. Currently, only 11 of the members of the city council, the 51 members, are women. And so not just the women who are leaving the city council, but the men who are leaving the city council need to identify women to um, replace them. Mm-hmm. Helen Rosenthal, yeah. uh, District uh, 6, thank you so much for uh, giving us your time. I, I know you're really, really busy. You're doing such good work. Look, yeah, thank you. I look forward to it. It's always such a pleasure to hear your voice. And such a pleasure to be on your show. You really helped get the word out about important things. I'm looking forward to your podcast. So here's something I think that's really going to um, hit home for Tuli, I know, and I'm, I'm sure Aaron and Jesse too, and that is 
children, career, pregnancy, and work-life balance. How does a young professional woman justify having children and a high-level career? Can the two goals coexist? The Guardian reported that approximately 50,000 women per year lose their jobs as a result of pregnancy, and many female workers return to work to find their job duties have changed or that they can no longer progress within their role. The narratives that prevail at this highest level of American professionalism is, no, the two cannot be accomplished at the same time. So, Tuli, how has having a child affected your position at the office and your ability to get your work done? I can't speak overall for uh, the state of motherhood in the workplace, but I am personally very lucky to work for the firm that I am. I have, since getting, uh, since becoming pregnant, and having Jack, I've gotten two promotions and uh, raises along with those things. I actually asked for more, <laughs> I asked for more responsibility the same day that I told him that I was pregnant. <laughs> I said, uh, I would really like some more responsibility. And I should also let you know <laughs> that I'm pregnant. <laughs> how did they, how'd they react to that? He said, uh, it's not the first time, won't be the last. <laughs> What, that you're pregnant or that, that you're going to... That women in the office women are pregnant? In, yeah. Oh, okay. He's okay. been through it before. Okay, and? <laughs> yeah. Um, but this is not universal. This is... I don't know. It's not universal, no. And I don't think it's universal in the construction field. I think it's specifically a positive point in my firm. Um, everybody has kids in my firm, and everybody works together to... and understands that, that parenthood is important, and, and you know, you get... You get, you get phone call breaks when your kid FaceTimes you in the middle of the day. <laughs> I can say overall, in, because I'm in construction, I, got to, I get to see what the trend is for what office spaces look like, and it has become the norm to build a mother room or a serenity room, they like to call it. That's nice. So in almost 100% of the build-outs that we do for offices, there is a place for mothers to go to breast to pump mm -hmm. now, and some of the places are, I mean, very, very nice. Lovely couches with sinks and, and just complete privacy and comfort. When I was a waitress, I was, um, and I was, when Harry was a baby, I was pumping in a bathroom stall. Yeah. And I'm telling you, it didn't work. No, <laughs> it's not comfortable. It didn't work out. I, um, they, they did not fault me for having to take breaks to pump. They didn't fault me for putting my breast milk in the fridge. They didn't, they have not stopped me from taking a day off when he's sick or when, when I need to run home. Um, I, I know that my position is not a normal one, for, but I can't speak to that because I've only been working in this situation and it's been very nice. And, and Aaron, I mean, you're, you're in the medical field. Uh, are, are mothers taken care of? Uh, that are working in your offices? Well, I think what's difficult is what do you do when you have to leave? I think from a healthcare perspective, you would think that they're taken care of from a paid leave perspective. Maybe hospitals realize that um, we need to take care of our employees, but it's actually not, it's a little bit more cutthroat than that because the focus is so much on making sure the patients are getting taken care of that the employees maybe not so much. So from my perspective of this topic, I have seen 
women who get pregnant. I'm personally, I, I don't have a child, but I see my um, colleagues, my mentors and things like that um, get pregnant and then come back. And the diversity of how they come back and how people react to that makes me a lot more thoughtful and apprehensive sometimes of whether or not I need I can take that step well, yet. That was what I wanted to ask, um, both of you, Jessica and um, Aaron, if thinking into the future, do you ever consider that, you know, that choice of when to have a child, is that going to interfere with your, you know, your career, uh, what do you call it, trajectory? Yeah. I, you, well, go for it. It does. I mean, it, it does all the time. I, I mean, I think it, it causes me to challenge what my priorities are just in general. Is it my career? Is it uh, family? Is it um, finances? Is it, is it is it this because once a child comes into the equation, at least what I've observed, it uh, it kind of solidifies it for the time being, wherever that priority is. I um, yeah, I mean I don't have a child either, and I'm not pregnant. Good to know. There you go. <laughs> um, uh, my organization has very generous paid family leave, um, and so um, we actually have uh, one of the first um, people in our office whose wife just got pregnant, and so he'll be able to take paternity leave. Um, That's great. Yeah, it is wonderful, and I think maybe this <laughs> this shows my privilege, but I have never really thought seriously about um, one thing conflicting with another thing. Um, and perhaps it's because I have had really positive female role models in my life that have pursued um, grand big careers um, with um, having children. But oh, that's so nice of you to say. Oh, it's you. It's you. <laughs> oh. I can I? Are you done? Sorry. I'm done. Go. Okay. Wait a minute. Just, wait, no, wait. Can you I, were really saying that Tuli was a role model for you? You're talking. You're talking about something. Yeah, talking about me. Oh, yeah, she was okay. five years. She was five years older than me. That would be kind of funny. She was precocious. <laughs> no, I would say on uh, becoming, deciding to become pregnant was definitely a huge what's going to happen to my career anxiety yes. point. I remember um, that. Yeah, and, um, and to this day, leaving Jack, um, I mean, I see him for maybe 20 minutes in the morning and then maybe an hour and a half in the evening. Right. Monday through Friday until we get to the weekends and then you guys take him away from me. So, uh, you know, so there's, there's yes, a... Yes, Tuli is our daughter. <laughs> <laughs> okay, full disclosure. <laughs> and Jesse is our Same niece. last name. And, and Aaron's mother's been on our show and yes. we love Aaron. So we're all related. <laughs> so I, there is um, a sense of guilt... Uh, that the, that I'm not spending enough time with him, that I'm not putting... Um, when he's being educated, it's not by me. When he's being taught uh, behavioral lessons, it's not by me. Are they the ones that I want? Are, is that the, the child that I wanted to raise? Well, I have to go to work early today, so I guess I'm not going to see you today. I mean, it's there is a constant thought process. So no matter how, how, how child-friendly your firm is, there's still um, mother's guilt. Mother's guilt. There's still uh, choices that you have to make between career and mother if you choose the career, and that's still, you know. So you can have the the most positive, child-friendly workplace in the world, and still have to deal with those choices. That those I don't feelings. know that men men. I mean, I don't. Th I don't know if they consider that 
uh, I don't know. I wouldn't. I wouldn't judge. I think that perhaps. I mean, I'm, I'm sure that your father was. He was so involved in, in you know, raising you kids. That I'm thinking of the men in my workplace mm. compared to me, because they. Mm-hmm. I don't know. They never talk about doing laundry or grocery shopping or dealing with the kids. But they probably don't mind not doing that. But perhaps not being around the kids. Sometimes. I don't think they do that. Yeah, and, their and wife they, does, and that. they don't mind. But <laughs> I do that, and the and stuff that yes. they do. Right, right, right. Yeah, that's true. Right. Well, I, I want to go to something that Aaron raised. So another major issue in the fact that professional women in the U.S. workplace do not have, they don't have role models they can, that they can turn to for advice and mentoring in some, in some fields. So research reported that um, um, from Catalyst that two-thirds of women have reported that in absence or of successful role models at work directly linked to their lack of advancement. And you were saying you have role models. I get. I mean, you were saying you have two tiers of bosses that are women. They may not be role models. I know, Jesse, you can speak to the fact that you've had bosses that are women that are really not good role models. Anti-role so let's models. hear both stories. What about, Aaron, tell us your story of, of the women you work with. Are they, are they role models for you? Yeah, I mean, I think that I'm fortunate to have different women for different needs in my mentorship needs toolkit. Um, so if I have a professional need and, and need to have an example of being more demanding and assertive, then that's my boss. My boss is the get-it-done person, and so if I need more of that, I turn to her and say, hey, sometimes I'll just run it by her and say, like, hey, is this is this an okay ask? And she's like, yeah, just get it done. Um, but then I have the more nurturing-type mentor who's also in a leadership position, and I can say... Um, you know, she can ask me, how are you doing today? Um, and have those kinds of conversations. Right. So I think the the ability to have more nuance in your mentors, especially with women, has been really uh, an, an advantage for me because then I can know who to turn to for what. Is it possible to have a male mentor? Absolutely, and I think that we should. I don't think that... I think diversity in everything is important, and I think men can also provide a perspective into that world, that closed-door world, and be your champions. Well, you have that, Tuli, with, you have Karen. men yeah. as that, that are, you know, your superiors, right? Yeah. I've no had, women, right? I don't have any, any female, uh, no, there's nobody. Uh, so you've looked to certain... Certain of your colleagues, your the male colleagues, as as role models for you. Absolutely, I have I have one who was a senior PM who trained me, Karen, and and another one and another senior PM who also I worked on a project with while I was training. And they were incredibly helpful, and I think they somewhat took on a, a father or brother type right. role mm-hmm. um, in training me, and I'm I'm forever grateful for them. They're it, look, I mean, I, I feel like sometimes these the Me Too movement or the what we're talking about right now sounds like men bashing, but there are some wonderful men in, I think, every single one of our industries that That's are fair. completely giving and thoughtful and caring and, and, and willing to promote whoever does the best job. I and think absolutely this, this, this talk, this discussion is not about male bashing, but rather just the kind of peculiar um, perspective it is the for overall. a woman, for, you know, what, what a woman has to kind of think about and, and, you know, look to when, in the workforce, and and what about you, Jesse? With your, tell us about a f- good female role model. Have you had a good female role model? Well, yeah, I think you're right. I think that I've, my role models have, 
my anti-role models have been lessons in what not to do, um, unfortunately. I mean, I have some really wonderful female and male role models, and I think that the best female role models that I have are the ones who show um, who show me by, by living um, and, and, and doing that you can be both nurturing and assertive and that you can be a leader who leads out of um, a place of compassion. And um, I feel that some of my um, most trusted male role models are, are similar, that they, that they um, you know, lead out of compassion and they, they lead out of assertiveness. I think that sometimes um, what I've encountered is that women let those insecurities take over. And so then they, I, I don't know, they're not as good role models for the other women. Um, Do they see you as competition? Perhaps. I was told last year oh, yeah, by, I think so, definitely. yeah, I was told last year by um, a woman who uh, no longer works at my organization, um, who, she pulled me into her office and said, Jess, I, I just want to tell you something, um, just a little feedback. Uh, in meetings, sometimes you have resting bitch face. <laughs> Oh my god. Oh that's, my what I, that's what I'm talking about. Oh, so and um and so, and um and so then I started I was I took it terribly. Now. I took it of course, awful of and, course. Um and I started well, having say thank you very much for telling me. Well, that. I did actually because that's how I sort of present myself. I said, you know, thank no, you, you for don't. I did. I said thank you for that constructive criticism and then I walked out. And um, I for the last for the for the la- for the next six months, all I could think of was how am I What's presenting myself like? in this meeting? And also, I started looking around at the men, and what would be they considered all had bitch well, yeah, what would yeah, be considered by a man to have like an inquisitive or thoughtful a thoughtful look? Yeah, or like they're thinking, they're thinking about the next thing to say. I was perceived as having resting bitch face. Yeah. You're supposed to be smiling all the and time. And that was don't from you know? a woman. Yeah. And that was from a woman. Yeah. So we maybe our own worst enemies. M- maybe yeah. you just want to look for a, a good role model, male or female. Sometimes we can be our, our each of our worst men- enemies. I find I work much better with men than I do with women. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. In general. Yeah, yeah. I've enjoyed working with a male colleague for sure. So this conversation really can't stop here. It's a, there's a, there's a lot more we have to say in in part the issue of workplace inequality is being addressed in the U.S. legislative bodies as powerful women are being hired by the electorate. The U.S. workplace is a different matter. The boys' club atmosphere is controlled by men who make the rules based on cultural measures they control and feel deeply. For women to gain equality, the basic structures of the U.S. work environment must morph to something quite different than it is now. And I think we've heard from these three young professional women how we are morphing and we are changing. Maybe the impetus for this change will emerge with the new female leadership in local, state, and federal government, but maybe the important change will happen on the ground with professional women like Tuli Winson, Erin Turingen, and Jessica Zwei, who through their intelligence and grit lead the way to a very different workplace in the future. This is Barco Radio, episode 27, number 27. Important conversations happen in bars, and we're at Gephardt Beer Culture Bar, where the beer is delightful, and the talk is vigorous, and sexual equanimity rules. Sexual equanimity rules, right. And, women, and, and men shut up when they need to. Thank you, dear. One would yes. hope. <laughs>
For Bar Crawl Radio number 28, we'll be talking with those crazy Californians who build giant floats, hot glue flowers to them from the top to bottom, and then drive them through Pasadena. Becky and I have been invited to help decorate the city of La Canada's float for this year's Tournament of Roses Parade. The float will feature giant-sized Louisiana frogs swaying to the sounds of swamp music. And again, we want to thank our guests for joining us in this important talk. Yes, thank you. It was great. Thanks for having 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 us. What's swamp music? I don't know. Ribbit. 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 Bud White. Yeah, could be. Could be. Not at this bar, though. Uh, Oh, sorry, Budweiser. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs>